0: You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast
1: that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McClendon, and these are good times, Wade, for us to just sit and watch the world go by.
0: You know, Kevin, I'd love right
1: now just to
0: float silently on a lake and... Watch the seasons turn.
1: The movie that we are reviewing this week definitely takes first place of all the movies in this marathon for most picturesque location that you'd want to visit. Listeners, we're continuing our
0: South Korean cinema marathon with Kim Ki Ducks Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring. Make sure to get the ellipsis in there when you say it. All that's coming up on dot dot dot. This episode of seeing. And believing. Oh, 응? 똑같은데 왜 버려요? 같은 이건 사람을 죽이는 불이고 사람을 살리는 불이 있어. Listeners, we are here at Seeing and Believing. Yes, it is episode 242. Kevin. I don't think it's a coincidence, but I actually live near a street, and it's called Two Forty Two. Not sure what that means, but must be something special.
1: Omens are everywhere. Uh, uh, these are these times. You know, these are the times where you might start seeing things. Uh, seeing meaning in things that you might not ordinarily see. Now, whether that's the social isolation talking or whether it's actually an omen, I mean, who's to say, really?
0: Yeah, no, no, it it could be either one. It could be both. Kevin, how are you doing? So this is episode three that we have recorded from quarantine, and we've been doing this marathon. I've
1: been working from home. You've been working from home. How are you holding up? Yeah, I've been working from home, which means that I am about two weeks into my quarantine beard. So, you know, I'm working, I'm getting a head start, I guess you might say, on the post-apocalyptic scruffiness that is sure to be a a runaway popular aesthetic in the days to come. So I'm just plodding along with that. Really wish that up here in Chicago it would be at least a little sunny, so there'd be something interesting to look at out the window, but you can't have everything. How are you doing? <laughs> no, I feel like, I'm, you know, we're, we're doing all right. Uh, I mentioned
0: that I, I think I might have broken my toe. It's feeling much better. I can kind of briskly walk, even maybe jog a little bit. So that's that's nice. It healed up pretty quickly. And the kids are doing, a, a you know, Fairly decent. I, I don't I still don't know if they know that we're on quarantine because they're just having a good time <laughs> with all of us all around all of the time.
1: Yeah, well, I an important question is are you having as good of <laughs> a time with everyone around all the time? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you know, it I I have I have been watching movies and I have been reading books. And hanging with the family. And so it's, it hasn't been bad. Obviously, um, praying for so many people affected. And I'm not sure if any of our listeners have been affected by this, uh, in any other way other than, you know, kind of what we're all, uh, going through right now. But if so, we're, we're definitely thinking about all of them. Uh, so it is, it is difficult. It is a little bit stressful, but, um, there, there are some positives. And I think being around the family. Uh, it, it has been a positive so I've, I've enjoyed it.
1: It does tend to give you a good sense of perspective on what's really important that's that's for sure.
0: Yeah no I, I think it does and all these things that you you ponder over and you go through over in your mind and you worry about um, it's just yeah, you don't think as much about that anymore. And then two I I I thought, Kevin then I would probably engage a little bit more with social media and I think I'm, I'm having a little more fun with Instagram, but I don't know. it's it's maybe not as important as I thought it was. I just I don't uh, maybe it's because I, I long for the just the, the human connection, the the face to face that I don't have anymore. but um, so that's kind of this different perspective and um, I know it's not about movies, but um, that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now.
1: Yeah, well, the movie that we're going to be talking about this week is probably a really good fit for uh, that whole line of thinking about, you know, getting a sense of perspective, uh, thinking about what's really important, just sort of like we said in the intro, watching the, the world go by and, and things progress. It I don't know, I, I personally, watching this movie, it felt very appropriate somehow <laughs> for our current time, so yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about it.
0: Well, and if... March, the month of March, have if it's felt like it's taken 30 years instead of 30 days, 31 days to get by, uh, this film actually takes place over 30 years. Spring, summer, fall, winter, dot, 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 and spring follows a young boy who is raised by a Buddhist monk. Each season jumps forward in time, and audiences watch as the boy eventually grows into a man. Set on a floating temple isolated on a picturesque lake, spring, summer, fall, winter, dot, 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 and spring is a tale about the passing of time, as well as the various challenges associated with life. Kevin, by reputation, director Kim Ki-duck is known for some of his more violent fares. By comparison, however, this film is relatively tame a good word to describe it with is reflective. Perhaps that's why the film is set almost entirely on a lake. To get this discussion started, my question to you is this. Did you sink into spring, summer, fall, winter, dot, 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 and spring's wavelength, or did you find the movie's meditative pace a bit too relaxed for its own good?
1: No, I, uh... I got into this film pretty much from the word go. There was just something about the rhythms that Kim uh, puts into the the film, the, the way he, he has shots set up, the way that he kind of almost opens a story to us with every one of these seasons. So every single season, you know, there are those two doors. They're ornamental. They are... Uh, isolated. They're not part of any greater edifice. It's just this doorway and these two doors. And at the beginning of every single season, Kim has those doors kind of open up on the lake and that uh, dwelling place floating in the center of the lake. And we kind of move through the doorway into that section of the story. And it really did feel almost like the beginning of a new chapter of I don't know, of a bedtime story or just of a really good book where you just kind of sink into it and you look forward to the next stage in the story. And I don't know, something about the pacing and that rhythm was just really beguiling to me and I fell into it right away. I liked this film quite a bit, frankly. I'm really curious to hear your take, though.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that I got on this wavelength pretty well. I like the meditative and reflective nature of this film. And you mentioned those those doorways uh, that feel almost like a, like a book cover, kind of a book opening up and a book closing. Uh, this is a film about the chapters of our lives that we go through, and characters are literally walking through these, these doorways, walking through these different sections of their lives. This is a, a parable... And there is – there's some big action in this movie, and I think that it works because it's emphasizing the, the moments in our lives that take us by surprise for good and for bad. And I, I was reading a, a quote by, by Kim Ki Duck, and he says that he wanted to portray the joy, anger, sorrow, and pleasure – of our lives. And I think that he does this uh, because we definitely feel all of those emotions across the film. And as we're watching it, we do feel like we've, we've seen a life happen before us, even though it takes place mostly on this floating temple in this lake. We don't ever get out of that space. We're always kind of in that area, in the area around it. Um, But yet it says a lot about life, and it is fascinating too, Kevin, because the the first week we reviewed Mother. And and that is a film that, in terms of its religious perspective, uh, it's, it's one that almost seems to wrestle with an absent God. And then we looked at The Housemaid last week, and we mentioned there are these kind of spiritual elements. There's talk of heaven. There's talk of a soul. But the god that these characters serve is uh, consumerism. And then next week, we are going to talk about a film, Secret Sunshine, that's going to deal with uh, Christianity. But here, we get a film that is, yes, about life. And I think there's there are things that every one of us, regardless of our religious persuasions, can take away from this movie. But this is a film that is a Buddhist film. And it's just—we didn't really plan it like that, but we really get this— really rich religious perspective across all of these films that we're going to talk about uh, in this South Korean marathon. And I, I think that just works out pretty well and gives us a lot to, to chat about too.
1: Yeah, this is a film that is really steeped in the Buddhism that is is shared by its two central characters, or at least uh, by one of its central characters, the elderly monk who brings up the the boy at the beginning this of the film who grows into a man over the course of the film and you see that a lot of course in the the episodic nature it kind of evokes almost the the cycle of rebirth that's a part of buddhist belief there's the overall structure of the film which begins with spring and ends with spring and with the places that are uh the the young man is at at the beginning of the film and at the end of the film there's a sense of the cyclical nature of existence there as well so it is a very buddhist film but watching this i i did feel that there was a whole lot of resonance with uh with my own perspective as a as a christian viewer one that I, I guess boils down to the fact that it has a very clear-eyed view of human nature, of the fact that, you know, humans are made in God's image and are capable of great good and great beauty, but also capable of some very dark emotions, impulses, and actions. And Kim kiduck really sketches all of those things out over the overall course of the film, and he finds moments of real beauty and real redemption, even in the midst of the stormier passages of the film. And one thing that I thought was, was really interesting was every chapter of the film, uh, there's a climactic moment where a character is weeping. Weeping very strongly. For instance, in the very first chapter, the the young boy is discovering that a little bit of mischief that he was making led to the death of a small animal. And when he feels that remorse, he just breaks down in tears. And that kind of emotional button on every one of these passages is present. There's a a scene of somebody weeping violently at the end of the summer passage, the end of the autumn passage, the end of winter, but you don't really necessarily see it in the same way at the very, very end of the film. And I found that 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 overall choice of Kim to structure the film that way really spoke a lot to kind of the human condition in a lot of ways, but also in the ways that There's this mingled joy and sorrow, like in that quote that you cited from him, Wade, that really characterizes the human experience regardless of what part of the world you live in or what religion you subscribe to. Yeah, and then also in addition to that would
0: be just the ripples that we experience in life and that our decisions at one moment will kind of affect, it will affect us and others later in life. And we definitely get just a a visual motif in terms of the ripples on the lake, Um, but we see that in these characters' lives. I love the shots, Kevin, where we're just kind of sitting on this floating temple, and we watch as the, the temple, of course, stays in the same position in the shot because the tripod is on that platform, but the settings around it is moving because that platform is floating and it does give us the sense that time is marching forward. Um, If you don't know when this movie is set, you actually won't find that out until, man, maybe 20-30 minutes into the film when a couple of characters arrive to visit this holy man and the Buddhist monk in training, and we see their modern clothes, and we realize, okay, so this film, you know, is made in 2003, and it actually does take place probably around 2003. We later see a cell phone. And it just goes to show you the, um, it, it's a movie that's, I wouldn't say outside of time, but it could it could happen at any moment. Um, because this is kind of this cycle in life. Uh, and we definitely get these uh, Buddhist elements, and I am not an expert at all in Buddhism, um, but every, I think almost every single section of this film has uh, an animal in it, and usually there's one animal that becomes kind of the symbol of that section. So you've got a group of animals. At the beginning, you talked about how the young character ties rocks onto these animals. Uh, But the next you get a rooster, uh, and that rooster represents this sort of young love. The next you get a cat. uh, I believe that in this particular context is is something that wards off evil spirits or is a a good omen. Uh, Next you get a a snake. Next you get a turtle. So all these kind of images that work within uh, Buddhism. And and then, of course, I, I think... One of the big thrusts of this film uh, is the idea of, of attachment. And of course, in, in Buddhism, uh, Buddhism is very much concerned uh, with the downtrodden and the poor and the suffering. At the same time, um, Buddhism teaches that you can't get too attached to this world because everything uh, will eventually be gone. And so, the, the way to protect yourself uh, is not to love more, but almost to love less, or maybe love in a different way. And uh, we see that emphasized, especially in the romantic storyline that takes place during quote unquote summer. And this young man, he forms a relationship with this girl who comes to visit, and his master tells him, No, like, be careful that's going to lead to murder because you can't keep that love. And so it's kind of fascinating to interact with that and to try to parse out what uh, Kim Ki-duk is trying to say here and what he's trying to emphasize with this film.
1: Yeah, there's there's that Buddhist sensibility that runs throughout this film, as we said before. And in some ways, it, it does run counter to uh, what you know Christians would say, the point of... Being human and being in creation is um that's the the idea of renouncing attachment to things isn't isn't it's adjacent maybe to to what christianity teaches but it's not fully all the way there but it does have some resonances as i said earlier with the christian experience and i think that the the two middle sections, the summer and the autumn sections, that deal a little bit with uh, this the the younger man's uh, attachment to uh, this girl that he falls in love with, and then the the consequences of that love. I think really speak to how good things can be both twisted into into evil and how evil things can also be transmuted into good things there's this this wonderful section where one character who's who's committed a a crime has to sit and sort of carve out a bunch of symbols Onto the dock of this uh, of this floating temple, and once that character has done that, then other characters come in and they paint in those cutouts with really vibrant colors. And by the end, it's not a vision of a really you know marked up doc or a vision of something ugly or destructive it's it's something that has become beautiful and which in its own way leads to the redemption of the crime that this character has committed and i think that there's there's something very not explicitly christian but there's something there that you recognize in the the redemption of jesus too in the in the sense that there is something that was meant for great evil but that has been transformed into something that that is good and even beautiful and it's not because the evil thing was good in itself it's that uh, humans have the potential through grace to create wonderful things or even to have the ugly things that they've committed be transformed and i think that's that's a really wonderful thing for this this film to be expressing and because of its meditative rhythms it feels it doesn't feel uh, overly didactic or as if kim Ki-duk is forcing the issue it feels very organic
0: yeah the, this film it, it's fascinating how it it i don't know if, i don't know if you would say it, it balances but it it totters kind of back and forth between v- being ingrained in this physical environment and then also not. Uh, you could walk away from this film, and you could say something like, "It emphasizes how time, youth, and age are an illusion." And we get images of uh, this tree that's three hundred years old. It's you know, it's been there before these characters were alive. It'll continue to grow after these characters are gone. Time is kind of passing on, and and that our hope is to be absorbed into something uh, greater. And then at the same time, this is a movie that is concerned with justice and with mercy in the here and the now. And we we definitely get that, that subplot with the young girl who is suffering from an ailment and looking for a cure. You also get the subplot where the animals are being injured by the young boy, and there are a couple of them that die as a result of him tying rocks to them. And you see this—you uh, see this emphasis on protecting and stewarding uh, the here and now. So it's this kind of this uh, back and forth, and I, I think there's something to to just getting in this movie's rhythm and just kind of sitting with it, and just kind of. Living in this space and sitting in this space and watching time pass by. And I I think even even though some people will come to this and even I come to this with certain sensibilities, um, just having that meditative stance and being able to just sit with a movie like this, I I think it can be very important because so many things are kind of vying for our attention. And so many movies are just so fast and so in your face, um, to sit back and kind of relax with a film like this. Um, I think it's, it's usually worthwhile. And I think it's definitely worthwhile here.
1: One of my favorite shots of this film comes in the first section in the, in the first spring section. Um, it's, it's almost one of the first shots we see. It's kind of an establishing shot of this floating temple. And we see the the old monk, he's just finished his morning prayers. He's woken up the, the young boy, and they're kind of doing their thing, put- puttering around on uh, outside of the, the building, and they're kind of on the dock. Um, but the way this shot is framed by—I'm not sure if this was a choice by Kim Ki-duk or by his cinematographer, Baek Dong-hyun, but— the the way the shot is framed uh, typically you'd expect kind of the the humanity the activity to be at the center of the frame so like the the water is sort of maybe the bottom third and then the rest of it is focused on this uh, this floating structure and the characters doing what they're doing on top of it but the frame is is set up so that the humans are kind of shoved up off the top of the frame a little bit. They're kind of at the very top, and underneath them is just this vast expanse of the green lake water. It's a beautiful shot, and it also suggests that Kim is really trying to get us to rethink our assumptions about what is important or what is central in the world. Um, he's trying to refocus our attention from, oh, well, the the humans are the center of the story. They are but they're only one part one part of a much larger world around them, the natural world around them, the other people that they come in contact with and affect for good and for ill. And I think that shot is really an encapsulation of that sensibility and why I appreciated this film so much is that once you, you get into it, you realize that it's less about trying to make a point or trying to really flesh out these characters in... In a traditionally dramatically satisfying way but more about teaching you a way of seeing I guess and that's I think something that Kim succeeds with flying colors with this film is that he does teach us a way of seeing and especially for those of us who who aren't Buddhists or who aren't from South Korea learning to see in that way is valuable for a whole host of other reasons as well. Yeah and and. I,
0: I love, I mean, there's so many different shots that I love. And I appreciate how the film, of course, changes with the seasons. And every new season, I'm, you know, thinking to myself, oh, wow, just check out the scenery and how it's different from, you know, spring or how it's different from summer. And there are beautiful images in every single season. And even in the winter, we get these beautiful images of of the snow. And even though that's an incredibly harsh environment, there's still beauty to be found there. And I think visually what he's highlighting uh, is that with every season in life, there are there are new changes, um, but there's beauty in those changes, even when it's not easy, even when it's somewhat harsh. And of course, winter is uh highlighting um old age, there's still beauty to be found in every single uh, area and you know we're, we're talking a lot about this, this virus and we're talking a lot about who it affects and uh, who it uh, doesn't affect as much and I, I think just, just seeing some of these images um, especially that winter season and seeing the beauty there it, just understanding how the elderly, uh, they have so much to offer us and their lives are as valuable as ours. And um, just trying to remember that through this season. And hopefully that's something we're all doing. And hopefully that's what we're doing to try to protect those around us. Um, but I, I certainly appreciate how uh, Kim kiduck Duck is, is using the visuals of this story to just really illustrate the beauty in, in every uh, section, every season of life.
1: Yeah, and not just the visuals but the way he structures it as well the the cyclical structure I mentioned earlier leads us to to realize not just kind of the shape of an individual life which it kind of does that but it also kind of sketches out the shape of a human existence in a way. The when when one character dies the it, it's not like the end of the story the, the film keeps going and shows us what happens after that. It shows us that the, the small animal that uh, died in the first spring uh, chapter in the second spring chapter, uh, we see uh, another little boy maybe playing with uh, another animal in a way that could lead to a similar outcome, but we don't see that. We just see the, the pleasure that he feels in playing with that animal and uh, elsewhere in that chapter we also see another animal of the same kind that died in that first chapter kind of living its life and going on and the world kind of goes on and we see certain parallels uh, over the course of the film the the weeping that happens at the end of each chapter the fact that characters paths cross again when you wouldn't necessarily expect them to homecomings Uh, new life, all of those things are kind of contained within this film. And again, it's teaching us a way of seeing that uh, an individual is kind of the main character of his or her own story, but they're not the main character of a much larger story that's going on around us. And that's something that this film really reminds the audience of. Yes, that is well said. Listeners, spring, summer, autumn, winter, dot, dot, dot,
0: and spring... The 2003 South Korean film from Kim Ki-duk is available to rent across a wide number of platforms. We'd love it if you had a chance to watch this movie. You can tell us what you think. Make sure to tweet us at cbelievepod at POD. You can also email us at seeingandbelievingcapc.com. At gmail.com. Don't go anywhere. We got some recommendations for you this week. And Kevin, I might talk about a Netflix television show that features cats. We'll find out <laughs> in just a moment. That song is High Life by Carlo. Listeners, we want to take a couple of moments and thank all of you who've chosen to support us via our Patreon campaign. You help us keep the show going, and we very much appreciate it. we got a lot of different donation levels. One of those is the What Can You Buy for $5 level. We love that level. There's good perks on that level. And, Kevin, I was just thinking about it. Uh, If somebody wanted to know what they could buy for 5 bucks, they had some change on their dresser, it equaled $5, what could someone buy with that change?
1: Well, the quarantine is a time for picking up new hobbies of all sorts. And I figure if you're looking for something to do that can maybe be done safely inside beanbags, you know, like bago, also known as cornhole in some circles that we don't talk about, um... That would be a some an activity you could do. five dollars would get you a custom uh, bag board bean bag board that uh, would have your own face emblazoned on it. so like the hole that you're trying to sink it in would be a mouth or one of your eyes. I mean you choose, but it would be a, a way to spice up the the new hobbies that you take on in this time of social isolation. Okay yeah, I don't know if you know this, but cornhole is a pretty
0: big deal in my family. my My dad would make, cornhole boards my brothers make them I feel like anytime we get together we play that doesn't mean I'm
1: good but my brothers are great Um, so yeah so you so you have some special insight then on what the going rate is for such custom (laughs) cornhole boards yeah um so maybe you can speak to whether five dollars for one of them is a steal or is just outrageous. Well,
0: yeah, my I mean my brothers have made sports teams ones, um, and I will say this: if you can build one for five bucks, then or if you can buy one for five bucks, uh, you should get that all day because that is a deal, especially
1: with a face okay. on it.
0: I mean that's yeah. extra.
1: And especially if it's your own face. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know if I'd want to see my face at that size. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. No, I think it could be great. Listeners, if you can't get to that deal
0: right now, make sure to head on to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Like I said, we very much appreciate it. We also appreciate everyone who rates and reviews us on iTunes and also subscribe. Subscribe is a huge deal. If you just hit that subscribe button, that helps us out a lot. Just search seeing and believing. You'll see it pop up on iTunes. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It does a lot to help the podcast.
1: Yeah, it sure does. If you feel like giving $5 to help supports a larger family not just seeing and believing than seeing those $5 to Christ and Pop Culture's Way is a great bet it gives you some perks it lets you have access to the members only forum on Facebook and Wade from what I understand we have some seeing and believing listeners who are members of that forum and one of them has started up his own movie related project to help us all get through these, these quarantine days yeah so Elijah Olson is
0: a Patreon supporter, and he's also a member of Christ and Pop Culture. And a couple of weeks ago, he invited everyone to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark with him via a Google Chrome extension called Netflix Party. And I cannot pass up a viewing of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of my favorite movies. (laughs) And so, yeah, you he hosts the party, you click the link, you have to have the plug but you can watch it on your browser and then chat with everybody who is in that quote-unquote party. And so it was a lot of fun. We had a, a number of Christ and Pop culture individuals in, in the group. And um, it was, yeah, it was great. From talking about the equation on the board uh, when the government agents are trying to convince Indiana Jones to go after the Ark, to the R2-D2-C-3PO hieroglyphics inside the the Tomb Snake room. I mean, we just, we chatted about everything. It was a whole lot of fun, and I didn't get to do the Hook one last week, Kevin. They, they viewed Hook, which, that would have been great, because I used to watch that film all the time as a kid. Uh, but this week, it's Inception. I love Inception. Listeners will probably remember that it was on my top 20 of the decades list. I think it's a great movie. Uh, so it'll be fun to sit down, watch that film, and then chat with some people. So, uh, yeah, head on over to the members-only group and search for Elijah Olson. He has that there. It's yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So hopefully I can
1: at least watch part of it, if not all of it, this Friday night. Oh, well, it seems, seems like a steal for, for only 5 bucks a month to have access to stuff like that. That sounds really fun, Wade. I made the decision before the whole lockdown happened that for Lent I was going to give up social media and I've stuck to that and it's been good. It's been overall a good choice for me personally to step away from that world for for a good time to just sort of reflect over the season of Lent it has had the unintended side effect, though, that I miss out on fun things like that movie night, so hopefully I'll be able to get back in the swing of things once once Easter comes and my Lenten fast has ended, but yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's great, and it's
0: a cool way to uh, to get together with people, right? I mean, we're all kind of on our own, and uh, it's nice to, to talk and hang out uh, through a digital platform. So make sure you check that out. You can also tweet us once again at cbelievepod, at cbelievepod. Any questions or recommendations about the show, provide us feedback and email us seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the part of the episode where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. I know people have some time on their hands. What do you think they should watch this week?
1: well uh, we were talking about how spring summer fall winter and spring is helps us see the the overall shape of a life and I was thinking about that a lot as I was coming up with a recommendation for this week and you know we we give the the biopic genre a little bit of a of of a bad name around here there we we watch so many and so many of them are just not very good but there is one biopic that i want to highlight this week that does really a good job of giving you the shape the the impression of the shape of an entire life, and I'm thinking of the 2007 film uh, from Olivier Dahan titled "La Vie en Rose." This is a biopic about Edith Piaf, the famous Parisian singer who whose songs kind of became anthems for. <laughs> for basically an entire nation, uh, during her life and just a giant, uh, incredible voice. And in this film, she's played by the great Marion Cotillard. And this is arguably the film role that really put her on the map. And in terms of her international stardom, she was, you know, very well known in France, but this was the role that really made a lot of, Audiences outside of France sit up and take notice and she's incredible in it. There are few films that I can think of where the star kind of portrays one person from both in their youth and in their old age and is just excellent at all those stages. I think of like Orson Welles and Citizen Kane. That's the kind of level I'm thinking for Marion Cotillard in this film. She is very good. And the film is very good as well. So definitely check it out if you're in the mood for a biopic but you want a good one. Le'Veon Rose is the movie for you.
0: That sounds great, Kevin. I have not seen it. Um, it wasn't even on my radar, but I'm, I'm going to write it down. That sounds uh, that sounds perfect. And uh, what year did you say that
1: was released? That was yet another film from the absolute monster of the year, 2007. So wow. You know, you oh, think of all the great movies that came out that year. Maybe Le'Veon Rose kind of got buried under the sheer weight of great new releases. But, yeah, it's uh, another one of those films that just makes 2007 such a storied year. Wow. Yeah, no, I I mean, we talked about 2007, and I,
0: I don't remember. And I, of course, I didn't watch that movie, but I don't remember coming across it. And, um, you know, that sounds, that sounds great. Uh, well, Kevin, I made a promise to all of the seeing and believing people that I was going to talk about a cat, a Netflix television show. And so, yes, I'm going to talk about Tiger King. You know, sometimes, Kevin, I will, during this recommendation segment, uh, I will not necessarily recommend and say, oh, this is an amazing television show or movie, but say, hey, a lot of people are talking about this. We don't have an opportunity to review it on the podcast. Let me give you some thoughts. I think Tiger King is an interesting documentary. So, it follows big cat enthusiasts in America, and um, the tale goes pretty dark. The tagline is Murder, Mayhem, and Madness, and I think that's a good way to describe it. The series is directed by Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin, and... There, there's this fascinating way that they go about telling the story. First of all, this is just kind of a—it's it's just kind of a wild story. There's so many things happening. Uh, the first two episodes, it's almost impossible to take your your jaw off the floor just because of, of everything um, that's being detailed here. I think the episodes slow down after that. The last two, uh, especially, are. Um, harder to get through uh though they still are fascinating as it relates to the overall story the characters uh there's not a lot of humanity given to these characters um and i, I don't know maybe, maybe it's it's really difficult to do that because these characters aren't very eccentric and strange and even dangerous um but this is one of those television shows that you watch it and say wow that was Pretty weird, pretty strange, very entertaining, and then you want to go talk about it with other people. So that's kind of my take on this show. It's not a great documentary series. It is an interesting and even entertaining documentary series, and you you watch it and you say, you know, wow, I'd love to see a feature film on this. Uh, so Tiger King's currently playing on Netflix And uh, it's pretty wild. I'd love to get people's opinions after they watch it uh, and hear what they think, because it's,
1: as I mentioned, it's a conversation starter. So my wife and I just finished watching the last episode, I think yesterday. So, you know, it's very fresh in my mind, and I agree with you. It's just, it's a fantastically entertaining documentary series, partly because you just can't believe that some of these people yeah. are the way they are. And not just like, you know, of course the central character, Joe exotic is very colorful, very outlandish. So that's not all that surprising, but he's surrounded by, uh, you know, other big cat owners or the people who help him run his Oklahoma zoo. And all of them are just very, you, you get the sense that a whole documentary could be made about each one of them. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe overall my, Reservation about the show isn't so much that it's not good. It's it's more that it just feels like there's so much going on with it that maybe uh, having had less space for all, including all those elements, maybe like for a feature film would have forced the filmmakers to maybe focus a little bit more on one aspect of this crazy story and really dig down deep into it and find the the humanity and the interest that's there because it definitely is there and they hint at it but it's just they don't have enough space ironically to go into all of it so they really should have just had less space total and that would have forced them to focus down even more so i don't know that's my take but you're not wrong that if you're looking for something that's just going to kind of make your jaw hit the floor, then this is definitely going to do that for you.
0: Yeah, and, and I I was kind of expecting uh, the documentary to get to the place where they would say, hey, this is, this is why this individual is drawn to this type of lifestyle. This is the factors that kind of lead to just everything. They want to be around these powerful animals. They want to be a leader. They want this... Attention from adoring fans. This is this is what we as humans pine for, and this is what this is how they are fulfilling that need in a way. This is how they're distorting that need to be known, to be seen. And um, the film doesn't get there, and or the the television show doesn't get there. And uh, it's fascinating too because Carol Baskin, um, she's kind of a big part of the first few episodes, In the last two, we really get into the the murder for hire subplot. And it regards her character, but she kind of goes into the background. So it's just, it's a lot to juggle. And I don't know if the documentary always kind of um, pulls that off. But I mean Netflix really hit it big with this one. Just at this moment where everybody's kind of watching television indoors and they produce a television show that everybody wants to talk about. I mean it's kind of the right time for them. So I'm I'm sure they're happy about it.
1: Oh, I am sure they're they're happy, happy about it as well. Who's the real Tiger King, Wade? Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe Netflix uh, is the real Tiger King. I was going to say the real Tiger
0: King was love, but I think your answer is better.
1: Yeah, I don't know if we can really get away with that. <laughs> Uh listeners, that's all we got this week.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. It's brought to you by our Patreon supporters and Chrysumpopculture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the Sacred on Screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin mclinathan And until next time,
1: this is
0: Seeing and Believing